Hello, and welcome to Linux Action News, episode 145, recorded on February 16th, 2020. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. Hello, Joe. Good to be connected with you. We start this week with some really great releases. Number one on our list, in no particular order, Plasma 5.18. This is a new LTS release, so if you'd been using the previous LTS, then there are quite a few changes, but those changes are much subtler if you've been on something like KDE Neon where you've been tracking the development of it. And that's where you are, right? Absolutely. And it's been nice. There's a couple of things I noticed. Uh, GTK apps look a lot nicer. That's definitely a very noticeable and appreciated improvement for me. Um, And if you're a high DPI user, there's a couple of nice things in here, especially if you're still on X. The other thing that they've added is GPU sensor info in KSysGuard which is pretty nice if you've got an NVIDIA card. I love just seeing that information. Now it's just in the built-in system monitor. And you've been hitting super period every day, presumably, to get your emojis. <laughs> yeah, I wondered if you were going to bring up the emoji thing. I already had that bound to another key combination, actually, so I haven't really <laughs> played with that. But I I mean, you know me. I like an, a nice ironic emoji, so I appreciate the selector, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get your check marks from somewhere. Check marks and flames, I'm all about it. It's my brand. <laughs> You can already try this out in KDE Neon, but it's looking like it's going to be in Kubuntu 20.04 as well then. Yep, and of course it's probably hitting the rolling distributions right as we record this, if not soon after. Also hitting a lot of different repos near you is a brand new version of Mate. Yeah, version 1.24, and I've been checking this out in the Ubuntu Mate focal daily images, which will eventually become 20.04, not too far in the future. And I'm pretty impressed with this. There's a few subtle changes. And I think the biggest one in terms of usability for me personally is the invisible resize borders. No longer do I have to alt-right click to resize windows or find that exact point on the corner. You just kind of go vaguely near the corner and you can just drag and resize it. It's such a small thing, but it makes a huge difference to me. Okay, it's funny you start with that because that was the biggest improvement for me as well. And it seems like a small thing, except for it's not. It's huge. You get your dumb mouse in the area of the border of the app that you want to resize, and it changes to the right cursor error, and you can just drag the dang thing like you would expect you should be able to. You don't know, you no longer have to be a precision fighter pilot to get that window border just right. And it's it seems like a small thing, but it is tr- it was truly one of the most frustrating things about Mate for me. And that's one of many nice things that have come to the Marco window manager. One of the other nice things is support for window decorations from the past, just if you want to get your nostalgia on. But more importantly, things that improve high DPI support and improved Wayland support. In fact, improved Wayland support is littered throughout the release notes of Mate 124. Wayland and High DPI continue to see steady improvements for this release. But like you said, Joe, there's a couple of other just daily driver improvements that landed in this one. It seems like I used to have to tweak Mate to get it to this level of performance as well. I'd I'd have to go in and I'd have to adjust the compositor settings and maybe I'd even install Compiz. Like I'd I'd spend 15 minutes after install dialing it in. With this, just went and changed my appearance. I went and looked in some of those old spots to see if I needed to adjust anything. Everything was set the way I would use it, and performance was fantastic on a ThinkPad. 
Now, I don't want to stir up controversy here, but support for eLoginD is pretty big because this makes it easier for distros that don't use systemd or even other operating systems like the BSDs to use Mate. I'm really glad to see this. They are a little trepidatious about it in the changelog. They say in here, quote, if your system doesn't uh, support systemd, <laughs> you might be interested in knowing that we've added support for eLoginD to both Mate Screensaver and Mate Session. First of all, this is great because kind of like you were just implying, it kind of makes this a universal desktop for not just Linux. But additionally, eLoginD strives to remain semi-compatible with systemd's logind. So I would imagine it's not an extraneous amount of work to add support, so it seems like a worthwhile investment while making Mate much more portable and appealing to people that might want to avoid systemd. And with no statement about the project other than this just seems like the appropriate place where you would find support for something like distributions or Unixes that don't have systemd. Mate feels like the appropriate type of project in terms of a desktop to support that kind of thing. Yeah, that's kind of Mate's whole thing is a continuation of GNOME 2 and supporting things that have traditionally worked before, like the whole desktop paradigm, but also looking forward with Wayland support and high DPI and the development is very much ongoing. So I agree, it's definitely the sort of thing they should be doing. And the more users of Mate, the better as far as the project's concerned. Well, let's keep this great release train going. OpenShot has a really fantastic, huge, big release, Joe. Version 2.5. And the huge standout here is experimental support for hardware encoding and decoding. Mm, say it again, hardware encoding and decoding, experimental support for hardware acceleration is a fundamental big feature in a, in a video editor, full stop. And what's fantastic about this support is it includes support for MP4 and H.264 files, which is a super common recording format on GoPros, cell phones, etc. And if your graphics card is supported, OpenShot can decode the pixel data from the video and on the flip side, encode the pixel data back into the video, all on the graphics card. Jonathan Thomas, the developer, writes, this can increase performance by up to 30 to 40%, depending on different factors. And just in terms of performance, there's another area that has seen a massive boost. He writes, we've completely rewritten the keyframe system to deliver real-time interpolated values and no longer cache the entire value set. This is huge because the longer the video files, the more keyframes it has to calculate. It, it, it exponentially improves performance. He says the new system can generate almost 100,000 interpolated values before the old system would even return a single value. That is, whew, that is, that translates to saved editing time. That translates to those editors getting more of their life back. That's a, that's a huge deal. There's also initial support for export and import of Premiere and Final Cut Pro files. This new feature I will probably go into with expectations set to stun, uh, but the potential's there. I mean, XML is XML. You just got to learn how to parse and import it correctly. And it seems at this point, basic timeline data, like your files, your clips, some keyframe information, if you have multiple tracks, that is importable from Final Cut or Premiere. And that's big, because you could see a future where somebody could work on a project in OpenShot, pass it off to another editor using a proprietary editing application, and then sending it back to someone where they could continue an open shot. It would be amazing, Joe, if we could get there in a shorter time than it took us to get there with Word docs. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking about the Word documents 
I think it is very important to be able to work with people who aren't using open source software. Otherwise, it makes the open source software that you're using slightly less relevant. It also means if you are a contractor doing a video job, you could deliver potentially the client in a file format they want for their own archive while using the tools that you want to create the video. It's really nice to see that feature landing in OpenShot. I don't do a lot of video editing, but when I do, I tend to use OpenShot. And this 2.5 release, which I tried out the app image of, looks really good to me. I didn't spend a huge amount of time with it, but it seemed to be much more stable than the previous version. And it's kind of inspiring me to maybe do a little bit more video, but we'll see. Well, Joe, we now reach the last stops of our release train this week with a new version of Firefox. Yeah, version 73. And the big story here is that there's not much of a story because they moved to this four-week release cycle. And so there aren't a huge number of new features here, except for one, and that is there is now a choice if you want to use DNS over HTTPS. You don't have to use Cloudflare. You could also use NextDNS. Yeah, it's nice to see a little user choice when it comes to DNS over HTTPS. Along with this, we also saw a release of Firefox ESR. So if you're on that track, you've got a new version. And last but not least, a new release of the Tor browser, which is a general update. It goes to the latest Firefox ESR, brings in like new versions of No Script and the Tor client itself. So a worthwhile update and some performance improvements snuck in there as well. Yeah, and of course that means there's a new version of Tails as well, 4.3. Yeah, it's a release family. It's the beauty of open source, Joe. Well, with all the good news out of the way, let's tackle some bad news. And I think we all saw this coming. Essential is no more. Yeah, I guess we're not too surprised, Joe. But this, if you don't remember, is Andy Rubin's phone company. He was one of the original creators of Android, worked at Google for a while. Some things went down. He left, founded Essential, and released one phone. Although... Looking through the details of the company now, it appears they had a few things in the R&D lab, including their own smart speaker. Well, that was always the promise, that they were working on this smart speaker OS, and they've got some video demos of it, and it looked to be pretty good. I don't know how accurate they were in terms of real-world usage. Right, and they called it Ambient OS. Yeah, yeah. The whole thing's a bit weird, how they, they put out this press release basically saying they were shutting down, but they also put in some promotional videos for what would have been. Yeah, well, like, we were really on to something here. It's a shame. It's what the vibe is. Yeah, I, I wonder if maybe they were pitched videos to try and get some more financing that didn't work out or something, uh, and they just thought, well, we may as well put them out there. We, we went to the effort of them. Because they had this gem smartphone concept, which was this tall, thin phone that looked like a remote control for your TV, and... I was kind of keen to watch reviews of it. I don't think I would have ever bought one, but I was keen to see it come out because it's it's something different at least. Um, and they had this assistant working on there and it, it seemed like they had some good ideas, but as you say, they delivered one phone and then nothing else except for very timely updates for that phone throughout its entire life until right now. The February update went out and unfortunately that'll be the last one, but... I remember they were there on day one for Android 10, along with the Pixel phones. So I, I, I didn't want to believe that they were going to fold and go away, but we kind of all knew it deep down. I would have liked to have seen that gym concept ship, because a, a narrow phone that could fit better in your hand is a, an appealing concept to me. But with all major shutdowns, if you can call this one major, I mean, I think it's, it's somewhat substantial, 
There's also some services that are going away, and this always really stings. Current Newton Mail users will have access to their mail service until April 30th, and then that is shutting down as well. And I, man, that really stinks. This is the aspect of these companies that they they choose to take on a services role, and then they blow it like this. And it's... It's like, don't get into that business if you're not prepared to be in it for the long term. Don't don't take people's email. Don't do that to people. Yeah, and you have to feel for the staff as well, because Essential bought that email company, and now those people working on it are out of a job. Yeah. I never did have an Essential phone. I know iFixit tore it down and said, well, this is about as bad as an iPhone. They gave it a one in, on the repairability scale. It was all glued together. But it looked like a pretty nice device. But I think when it came down to buying luxury devices, Samsung and Google really have that locked down. And they have the channels too. Yeah, that's true. But it is officially supported by Lineage OS. And they do say in this announcement that they've published some stuff to GitHub, which will hopefully help with the hacking community. So it's not like it's just a completely useless paperweight. You can flash Lineage on there and keep getting updates, at least for now. Good on them. That's how it should be. That really does show you that they were tuned in in a way that most handset OEMs were not. Yeah, which is why this is a real shame. Well, you might be surprised to learn that the last time the NetBSD project had a fundraiser was back in 2009. Well, until now. Yeah, it goes to show how well they manage their finances, that they haven't needed to do a major fundraising drive for over 10 years. But now they're doing another one, and they're looking to raise $50,000, which is not an insignificant amount of money, but I think they'll they'll get there, hopefully. Yeah, they write they will fund some critical parts of development that make NetBSD better and faster. They're also uh, pretty honest about some things that haven't worked in the last couple of years and how they've identified that and have planned to fix that. And I think the whole post is worth a read, but the big takeaway here is $50,000 to help make NetBSD 10 happen this year. That's sort of the, like the end goal, besides just getting people paid, fixing a few areas, making things faster. The big goal is NetBSD 10 this year and make it the best NetBSD ever. $50,000 in terms of a software project is really pretty modest, especially one that um, is so critical to so many people, and on top of that, has done so well at managing their finances over the last decade. From what we can tell externally, at least, it seems like a good investment. Yeah, and there's nothing quite like a major release like NetBSD 9, which came out this week, to instill confidence. Well, there's always so much going on every single week, so be sure to check out linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get new episodes. And if you're looking to digest it on a daily basis... Every weekday, in three minutes or less, check out linuxheadlines.show. And you can go to linuxactionnews.com slash contact for ways to get in touch with us. We'll be back next Monday with our weekly take on the latest Linux and open source news. I'm at Chris LAS. I'm at Joe Rissington. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next week. See you later. Bye.